Welcome to the Genealogy Gems Podcast. It's a show filled with family history research strategies and techniques, news and entertainment, and inspiration. And I'm your host, Lisa Louise Cook. Hello and welcome to Genealogy Gems Podcast episode number 209. It's good to be with you. It is Family History Month, October of 2017, and I am busy, busy traveling the country talking about genealogy. Just got back from a all-day seminar at the Texas Czech Genealogical Society down in Caldwell, Texas, kind of down by Austin. And they are a group made up of many people of Czech background and uh, shared culture. Many of them immigrated themselves or their parents did. It was a wonderful experience. I have been there before and it was awfully nice to get invited back again. And kind of a special treat of heading down south in Texas was we drove right down 35, which meant we were going straight through Waco, Texas. And if by chance you watch HGTV and you enjoy the Fixer Upper TV show with Chip and Joanna Gaines, they have their, it's called the silos. So the silos are there right off the freeway in Waco. And then they have the Magnolia Marketplace, which is just this massive warehouse filled with amazing goodies and uh, home decorating ideas and, and items and Bill was a saint because he was willing to stop with me. <laughs> Wasn't necessarily his big cup of tea, but he he knew that I was really excited to be there. And it was really neat. It was kind of like an enclosed, kind of almost like a mini fairgrounds, if you know, if you will. There's the big, huge silos where you get your picture taken out there out front. In the back corner, they had a, a beautiful garden with a garden shop. And it was kind of neat. It was kind of like display gardens. So examples of how maybe she would arrange her own gardens and some really neat ideas there. They had lots of different food truck vendors. And they had, of course, the massive warehouse, which is the Magnolia Marketplace. So yes, I did pick up a couple of things, did a little bit of Christmas shopping. So that was awfully fun. And Waco is a really fun, cool place to stop because we stopped there again on the way home as we were driving back up north to uh, the Dallas-Fort Worth area. Took a stop because it was just about dinner time. And we had dinner at Jake's Texas Tea House. And Texas Tea, if you don't know, y'all, is oil gasoline. (laughs) So it was an old gas station, basically, converted to a really fun diner, complete with a uh, live cowboy singing music and home style meals and uh, dancing. It was it was really fun and um, awesome decorations like, you know, half a car coming out of the wall over here and half a car leaving the wall going out there and everything in between. So really yummy home style food. Gosh, if you're ever in Texas, and you're heading down 35, Waco is a good place to stop. And there were places there we didn't even get a chance to to visit, which are on my uh, list for next time, which is the Dr. Pepper Museum is down there. And I believe the Texas Rangers have a museum there as well. So Lots to do, including Baylor University, which was right smack in the middle of it all. And coming up next, I am heading out to, it's actually a twofer, which is a little uh, interesting for, (laughs) usually I only do one seminar in a weekend, but we're we're just not willing to sit with that, right? Because it's Family History Month. So this Friday, we are going to be doing a full day seminar in Fort Branch, Indiana. 
And Bill is coming with me on that. And we are hopping a plane and we are going over to Denver, Colorado to the Jewish Genealogical Society and doing an all day seminar on Sunday. So I will be talked out by the end of that weekend, but it's going to be an awful lot of fun, two great groups to look forward to. And we're going to wrap up the travel season out in Roswell, New Mexico, space alien country, right? At the Wilson Cobb History and Genealogy Research Library. And that's going to be on October 21st of 2017. So Lots of fun things coming up in this episode and for you over on the uh, Genealogy Gems website. want to let you know that our news here at Genealogy Gems is that we just launched the brand new Google Search Secrets. It's five Google Search Secrets. That is the brand new premium video. And so those of you who are Genealogy Gems premium members, put that on your list to watch that. I really wanted to share these five secrets because they're really strategies that people don't think of with Google necessarily, but they're really effective. And you know, nowadays, a lot of folks feel like they kind of have Google down. But over and over again, as I teach genealogy seminars and head over to conferences, I hear people say, you know, I really thought I knew Google, I wasn't that excited about this class. But Clearly, I didn't know how to use Google for genealogy because they pick up all kinds of new strategies that they hadn't thought of before. Google is not going away, and it's just getting bigger and more expansive, and it reaches every nook and cranny of the internet universe. So in order to find everything that's out there and to find the right stuff in the quickest amount of time, you need to use Google. So enjoy the Google search secrets. And on the show notes for this episode, number 209, you can check out a quick little, I think it's two minutes. It's a little preview of what we're going to cover in the Google search secrets. In this episode, we're going to be following up on my recent coverage of changes over at the FamilySearch.org website, and of course, their microfilm access and record digitization. David We Met joins us today to talk about the millions of records being digitized around the world right now by FamilySearch. I understand David is kind of known to his colleagues as the Indiana Jones of genealogy because of his globe-trotting adventures in curating these record treasures. So makes sense. He's going to bring those to Genealogy Gems. And I see that there are, in the mailbox, there's a lot of excited emails from all of you. So we were going to be sharing those as well. And we're going to be talking about compiled military service records. That will be in the military minutes. And I have a quiz for you, a little question. Can you name the entire town built in 1947 by a real estate developer in New York to accommodate the enormous demand for housing for young families after World War II? Hmm? We'll keep listening because I will have the answer to that question towards the end of the show. And for those of you listening on the Genealogy Gems app, smart people, good. That's the way to do it, right? Because you can listen offline, you can stream. Well, in the bonus content for this episode 209, you will have the really easy access version of that Google search secrets preview. So you don't have to run to the website, you can just tap bonus in your app and you will be able to watch that quick little preview of what we'll be covering in Google search secrets in the premium videos. And if you don't already listen in the app, 
gosh, what are you waiting for? Head over to Google Play. You can get it for free for Android. And over in the Apple App Store, you'll find it for $2.99. And it's also available for Windows phone users as well. So lots of different ways to get the app. And like I said, there's always some bonus content in there too. So let's cover some of the news that's been going on here in the genealogy universe. Well, the latest news, we just got some news from the folks at Roots Magic. Now, they have released a free update for Roots Magic 7 users. It's called version 7.5.4.0. And this update primarily fixes bugs. So if you haven't already downloaded the update, look for the update available indicator. It's going to be in the lower right-hand corner of your Roots Magic 7 program screen and just click on that. And if you don't already have Roots Magic 7, you can see what's new over at rootsmagic.com. We'll have a link to the What's New article in the show notes. And remember that the new version of Roots Magic has the exciting tree share for ancestry.com feature. That is what makes it possible to search ancestry.com from Roots Magic and to synchronize your Roots Magic computer database with your online Ancestry family tree. And that's for the first time. That is exciting stuff that they have added to Roots Magic. So see the link also in the show notes for more information on TreeShare. All right, well, let's get right over to the mailbox and hear from you. Gems podcast, you may or may not know, depending on how long you've been listening, that I produced two other shows. One of them is a kind of a standalone series of about 46 episodes, and it's called Family History, Genealogy Made Easy. And that's available again at our website, genealogygems.com under podcasts. And of course, the other ongoing production that I do is the Family Tree Magazine podcast, which is available for free and also in iTunes. Well, Family History, Genealogy Made Easy, I started that, gosh, I think back about 2008, and did about 46 episodes. They're still relevant. There's still good, solid research information in there, interviews with experts and some inspiring stories. So that's available for free on the website. And recently, I heard from a nice gal named Gray. And she says, I'm listening to your Genealogy Made Easy series and loving it. 
I'm learning so much with this series, which is good since I've only been doing genealogy for a couple of months. My husband and I are truck drivers, so you have crisscrossed the country with me most mornings. I have finished the free series and will get your premium membership soon. When I'm not driving, eating, or sleeping, I'm researching. It's a great hobby on the road. Well, happy to be on the journey with you, Gray. That is awesome. And I think the Family History Podcast is perfect for the beginner because we really do approach each episode kind of in the order in which you would learn how to do genealogy research. But I've heard from a lot of advanced researchers that it's also a great refresher. (laughs) Just when we think you're covering it all, you go back and you listen, you go, oh, right, I need to cross those T's and dot those I's. So and of course, like I said, there's some great expert interviews in there and other really inspiring stories. So it's a good listen for anybody, no matter where you are in your research process. So, Gray, thank you so much for listening, and keep on a trucking. Safe travels. And we also heard from a lot of you in response to my brand new free webinar replay video. It's called Reveal Your Unique Story Through DNA, Family History, and Video. It's available for free online. I hope you have made time to watch this. You'll find it at youtube.com slash genealogy gems at our genealogy gems channel. It's right up there up front on the homepage, or you can search for it. Just search for reveal your story and it should pop right up. Well, as you know, we uh, attempted to do it as a live webinar broadcast, had a little bit of trouble, but we ended up putting together a really top-notch finished video that you could sit down and watch at your convenience, which actually is sometimes easier, isn't it, than doing the webinar times. Well, we heard from Anita, and she says, thank you for your amazing video. Anita, thank you for the capital letters. (laughs) That's awesome. I appreciate it. She says, my head is swimming with actual possibilities I think I can do now. That is so nice to hear. Leslie wrote, she says, thank you, Lisa, Diane, and Beth. I was really enjoying the webinar until it crashed. Teething problems, no big deal. So I was eagerly awaiting your video. And I have to say, the wait was worth it. I thought I knew how to use Google. Ah, here's another one. She says, I thought I knew how to use Google. How wrong was I? I have only been using a small percentage of its potential power. Thank you for opening my eyes to a new way. No, that's not right. To the correct way to use Google. I know it will help me so much in putting flesh on the bones of my family tree. Can't wait until the next ones. Well, Leslie, we're excited to do the next ones. You will definitely see more webinars and more webinar replay videos coming up very soon. If you are listening to the show and you have not signed up for our newsletter, be sure you do that on the website because that's where we're going to announce that good stuff. And got an email from Dennis. Dennis says, Dear Lisa, I did not see you live as I had wanted to due to getting my time zones confused. Oh my gosh, Dennis, that happens to me all the time, particularly when I'm trying to record interviews with people. Oh my gosh, time zones is the biggest challenge. He's in Saskatchewan. He says, we are already on Central Standard Time. I did watch the webinar later and I loved it. It is the best webinar I have ever attended. Oh my gosh, Dennis, thank you so much. He says, I have to say that I love your enthusiasm that you bring to genealogy. I was especially taken by your husband's story because I live very close to Regina, Saskatchewan. (laughs) He says, I was impressed that you pronounced it correctly. Dennis, I completely confess 
that the only reason I pronounce Regina, Saskatchewan correctly and not Regina is because long ago and far away on this podcast, when I first mentioned Regina, I called it Regina. And I immediately got an email from a very savvy Saskatchewan resident who told me the correct way to pronounce it. She knows who she is. So anyway, I did my best. Thank you. I'm very proud of the fact that I am now pronouncing that correctly. He says, the DNA section really got me to thinking about how I could utilize mine more. So I have booked a session with Diane to formulate a plan, and I'm anxiously awaiting. And he's talking about her her personalized consultations. Did you know that you can book Diane Southard, your DNA guide here at Genealogy Gems? She will do a live one-on-one consultation. Uh, I believe it's right over Skype. You get a video recording of it when it's over, and she looks at your stuff and helps you make sense of it and decide what kind of the next steps are. That is really cool if you haven't done that yet. He says, I have been doing genealogy since the late 70s, but very sporadically. It was my great aunt that got me enthralled with it, and also my grandfather's oral family history of my great-great-grandfather and how he died in a train accident, and how my great-grandfather became an orphan. I have spent many a night up late working on my tree. I was using PATH software, and then when they came to an end, I chose Roots Magic, and there I learned about citations and sources and about keeping track of them. So I have spent the last couple of years learning about how to do genealogy, and wow, it can be overwhelming. He says, I I have been thinking about going to Roots Tech this coming year. Do you think it would be a good idea for me to attend? I think it would be very exciting. I like to also say that I enjoy your podcast. I just got an iPhone in the spring and I did a search in the podcast and I found yours. Yay! Good job, Dennis. He says, I gave it a try and I was not disappointed. So I became a premium member. I have been going over the genealogy made easy ones as well. Wow, we're just tying all in. Yep, he's listening to the free family history, Genealogy Made Easy, and the premium membership. That's where the real big stuff happens. He says, well, I have so much work to do in starting with myself and my story, organizing all these pictures I have, digitizing my dad's slideshows, organizing my files and documents, and also squeezing a little research and, of course, connect with those cousins that are popping up. Well, I do hope I will make it to Roots Tech because I would love to meet you and your gang. Hope to see you. Yours truly, Dennis. Well, Dennis, you asked the question, should you go to Roots Tech? I got to tell you, yes, 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 yes. I have been attending Roots Tech since the very first year, which I'm trying to think, I think was 2010? pretty sure it was. I've been speaking there every year. We've got our booth in the exhibit hall. And hey, folks, we are going to be right up front. When you walk in the main doors of the the exhibit hall, you will see ancestry and find my past and genealogy gems right up front. We have our booth there where we put on free presentations throughout the conference so that you can come in and sit down and spend 20, 30 minutes with us at a time and just take all those in. You get the free ebook of all the handouts. I'm teaching uh, two classes on my own. And get this, Diane and I are going to team up for a never before seen class. It's going to be really cool. And I cannot tell you any more than that. All I'm going to tell you is we are teaming up together and it's going to be awesome. And 
In addition to us up there, you are going to see all kinds of wonderful speakers from around the world. It's a full four days this year too, which is something new. You know, if I were going to go to one conference, somebody said you can only go to one. That's it. I would go to Roots Tech because not only is the conference unlike anything that you'll see, it's the largest one anywhere, but you've got the Family History Library right down the street. You know, you need a break from the crowds, you go over there, you do some research. It doesn't get any better than that. So I hope to see you there. Stop on by our booth. Dennis, say hi. I hope to see you in class. And visit the show notes for this episode to see what's new, what's coming in Roots Tech 2018. And we also have a, a frequently asked questions page there. So if you've got some questions and you're new to it, you can go and feel like you're prepared. And at any time throughout the year, when you want to check out and see what's coming up at Roots Tech and what we'll be doing there as we find that out, just go to genealogygems.com slash Roots Tech. If you would like to reach out and talk to us here at Genealogy Gems, just send an email to genealogygemspodcast at gmail.com. Always great to hear from all of you. Thank you so much for writing in. And coming up next, you're going to be hearing from David We Met, the Indiana Jones of Genealogy Records. Bring me a letter from my proud old dad that we are winning and I'll bet he's glad for more than any other a line from my old mother bring me a letter from my hometown you've probably found wonderful old photos and documents in your research but that's not exactly exciting stuff to your kids and your grandkids. The truth is, the non-genealogists in our families aren't captivated by the same things we are. But you can change all that with Animoto.com. Start creating fabulous videos about your family history that they won't be able to resist. And you don't have to have any special skills. With Animoto, you drag and drop your files in, like photos and even video clips. Pick from their professional styles and huge music catalog, and voila, you've got an awesome video. I've made dozens of these, and my family loves them. Hey, my grandson didn't mention the Legos that I gave him for his birthday, but he did thank me for the video that I made. You've got to try this out for yourself. Visit Animoto.com. <laughs> at Lisa Louise Cook's Genealogy Gems. I keep my eye on our Genealogy Giant websites, and among them is Family Search. Today I'm here with David Wiemet at Family Search. His job over there is to manage content strategy. His job is to prioritize the acquisition and online publication of records around the world for family history research. He's done research and analyzed materials in dozens of countries, North and South America, 
Europe, Africa, and Asia. And I hear from an insider at Family Search that he is jokingly referred to on the job as the Indiana Jones of genealogy. Welcome, David. Pleasure to be here. I just gave the corporate definition of what you do there at Family Search, but you tell us in your own words what exactly do you do over there? Well, I work with a wonderful team of genealogists, and we seek to prioritize the records around the world that are of value for family history. So we look to the countries that are of greatest importance for people around the world who are actively doing their family history, what archives those records are in, and uh, what we can do to make those very best records uh, available as images online and even uh, searchable by name. So that's interesting that you say you're prioritizing the records for people who are actively engaged in genealogy right now. You've got your finger on the pulse of who's doing research? Well, we do. We work really closely with commercial genealogy companies, and we're aware of their customers, and we're aware of who's publishing or, or posting their own family histories, their own family trees, and we look and see what work is going on and where the work is growing. And so we look to serve people who are actively working on family history today, as well as where we see emerging interest. So something I like about Family Search is that you seem to capture a gap between maybe some of the populations that aren't as well served by the commercial website. So you're kind of, you're filling some of those gaps where the commercial providers are not maybe actively sourcing those records. Is that something you can tell me a little more about? Sure, I can tell you all the secrets. (laughs) Please do. (laughs) What we're doing is we're looking broadly around the whole world at uh, where the best records are, as well as records that are at risk of destruction. And those records, we accelerate the digitization of the digital preservation. So what we have is a plan, a pretty big plan, over the next 15 years or so, we're seeking to digitize and publish at least 30% of the best records in the top 80 countries around the world. Wow, that's that's ambitious. <laughs> what kind of scale are you talking about? What's How many teams have you got out there and how many cameras? Or Give us a sense of the scale of your operation and if that is increasing to meet your goals. Well, we are really beefing up efforts. For the last few years, we've been running with about 300 camera crews around the world at any given moment in time, we're generally digitizing records in about 45 to 50 countries. And we digitize about 150 million images of, of records throughout the year, as well as capturing other documents, other, other content. For example, we're also uh, ramping up our efforts with oral genealogy in Africa. And we're doing oral interviews in a number of countries, uh, recording the interviews and also recording the family trees. And we capture about three to four million lineage-linked names in Africa each year. That's fantastic. So I hate to pit the sites against each other very often, but I will ask you this. Do you get a sense that you've got more teams on the ground than probably most of the commercial companies around the world in terms of actually going out and doing the digital capture process? Or do you kind of lead that pack? We do. Uh, We started microfilming in 1938, and we've been doing a a tremendous amount of gathering of records over the years and and indexing records. We work very closely with a number of commercial partners, 
and they have their own very specific markets. So you can imagine, you look to where Ancestry is focused, or Find My Past, or My Heritage, or some of the other companies and societies, and they usually have a, a fairly specific market that they're serving. And some are expanding into new markets, but we've been in all continents for a long time. So tell me about this nickname that you have at work, the Indiana Jones of genealogy. I heard that once. Uh, <laughs> someone produced an interesting poster, and uh, Harrison Ford's face was not on the poster. <laughs> so why would they call you that? I think it might be because I go all around the world looking for records myself, as well as with members of my team. So this summer, for example, I visited archives throughout Indonesia and Thailand, Cambodia, Poland, Ireland. We, we try and get around to either mature our content strategy within a country or to create one in a country where we haven't uh, done much digitization or microfilming. So how often are you yourself on the ground in these places? Probably about eight to ten weeks a year. Tell us about a really cool experience you've had curating records. Tell us whether it was a place you went that was just the most jaw-dropping kind of archival environment or whether it was a record set that you got to see that was amazing. Tell us something we can vicariously get a thrill from. (laughs) Okay. Well, DR Congo comes to mind. I recall visiting with the National Archivist, and he told us of a set of records that sounded fabulous. It was records starting in 1920s as people registered uh, to get identification cards. We're talking about starting in 1920s in Africa, seeing uh, photographs, fingerprints, names of parents, uh, names of the individual applying for an ID card, the children, and all the birth dates and birthplaces. Beautiful, beautiful records. So we went to visit this archive. It was a big cement block of a building, and they had stripped out all the wiring, so there was no no power, no lights, nothing. But as we w- walked in and, and visited with the people who were taking care of the records, he opens up a book to show us some of the material, and you see the the bugs scurrying for holes to hide in in the book. You, you can tell that these records are in desperate need of digitization because they're actively being eaten. Wow. I, you know, I was going to ask you facetiously about bugs and snakes as the, the Indiana Jones of genealogy, but it sounds like maybe you've seen your share. Definitely. When we went out into the, the jungle, we went out to this one Catholic diocesan archive. And as we looked at the records there, you could see sawdust all over the floor. Well, it wasn't really sawdust. It was termites eating the records. Then we went even further out and walked off the road some distance to get back into a the village where we were doing our oral interviews. And it was really fun. We were in a part of DR, DR Congo that hasn't seen a lot of folks from Utah. And so the, the children that were following us uh, were uh, chanting, Chinois, Chinois. They, they thought we were Chinese. And uh, it was just kind of fun to be in an area so remote and to see people doing the same thing that we all do with family history, telling stories about here's the father, here's the children. And, and just telling the story of the genealogy as we're recording it. That's really neat. So 
everyone's really anxious about getting digitized records more quickly. It's an anxiety that's heightened a little bit since microfilm lending ended, but you're out there getting new material that wasn't on microfilm to begin with. So that doesn't really apply to you. But tell us about the general timeline for this whole process from the the time you start, you start looking for the records you want, um, and then specifically the timeline between capture and the first appearance online. Oh, that's a great question. So we'll go and visit with an archive, and it may take days or it may take years to come to the point where we have an agreement. It's not just a matter of a handshake. It's a matter of making sure that legally we're adhering to all of the laws of the land, that we're, from a relationship standpoint, meeting all of the needs of the archivists in terms of exactly what records they want digitally preserved. And so it takes some time to reach an agreement. And then we'll bring in a camera crew fairly quickly. The capturing of records uh, is generally uh, on the order of about 400 to 500,000 images per camera per year. So if we know that we have estimated about 3 million images to capture in an archive, we think of that as maybe six or seven camera years. And so we bring in the right number of cameras to complete the project within a, a timely fashion. Then publishing online has been a challenge for us because we've been capturing at such a rapid rate. You know, 150 million images a year is, is a lot to, to catalog, to describe the images in such a way that you can make them browsable by locality and, and uh, record type and date range and such. And so it, it does take some time. So what we're trying to do is trying to speed that process up dramatically. So we're overhauling our digital pipeline um, in in order to make delivery much faster. And I'll mention this, people probably don't know that there's about a billion digital images that are available within the FamilySearch catalog that you can't see in the historical records section of our website. So we're kind of publishing images that people don't even know are there. If you were to click through the catalog to find a film you want to order, there's a good chance that you'll see the digitized images um, viewable uh, in the catalog now. So we've been telling people that here at Genealogy Gems, especially with the ending of microfilm lending, we've been sending people over to the catalog. So let's just repeat that number, about a billion record images available in the, co- in the catalog that are not necessarily yet up in the historical, searchable historical records part of the site. So if you look at the historical records that are published on Family Search, billions and billions of records there. But additionally, we have so many more records, uh, record images that are visible only in the Family Search catalog. We haven't yet migrated them over into big compiled record collections and historical records. So if you go to the Family Search catalog, you'll see about 1.1 billion additional images only visible there. About 900 million that come directly from the vaults, and another 200 million that we're born digital in the field. I'm going to have you say that again because it's so important. So you're saying that there's 1.1, say that part again for us? We have about 1.1 billion digital images that are only visible now in the catalog. We have not yet migrated them over into historical records. That's a work in progress over the next year or so. So for now, don't just look to historical records go browse in the catalog to the place that that you're looking for. You'll find about 210 million images that we digitized in the field that are only in the catalog. 
and another 870 million images that we've scanned from our vault uh, that are only available in the catalog. We're seeking to migrate all of those over and to compile them into large collections that are much e more easily browsable in historical records. That's fantastic. So not too long ago, Lisa Louise Cook here at Genealogy Gems provided some updated great screenshots for how to search the Family Search catalog to find these record images that are coming online so quickly. So I'll just I'll make sure there's a link in the show notes that everybody can click on to find that tutorial that Lisa provided. Excellent. I would also add that we have about 330 million digital images that we haven't even loaded into the catalog or into historical records. And we're seeking to get that backlog, as it were, put up online at, within the next year or so. And then to make it so that the extra images that are digitized in the archives around the world, that 150 million images a year that we digitize, that those get placed online at a much more rapid pace so that it's, it's uh, from archive to internet much more quickly. That's fantastic. So I know that there is one just follow-up question there. I know that on the site, you can search historical records in a different place than you would search books. There's a separate section for searching digitized books. When we're in the catalog, whether whatever record entry I'm looking at, whether it's a historical record or a book, I may find the link to it, right? That's right. You'll see a little icon next to a microfilm that looks like a microfilm reel. And that was to indicate that uh, it's available on microfilm. Well, now you'll see little camera icons showing that that microfilm has been digitized. And if you click on the camera icon, you'll see an image browser come up and, and show you all of the content of that microfilm digitized. Wonderful. Well, David, you've given us a great peek into what's going on behind the scenes and around the world at Family Search as far as record acquisitions go. Leave us with just one record set that you're super excited about. There's so many. It's, so <laughs> it's like naming your favorite child, isn't it? Oh, boy. Well, I guess I'm delighted to, uh, personally at what I can do for my own family history in Ireland uh, with the... Catholic parish registers that have come online at the National Library and have been since indexed by Ancestry and uh, Find My Past. To see the Irish civil registration has been digitized and put on Irish genealogy. It's, it's about so much more than just what you see on Family Search, and that's why we have so many partnerships, not just with thousands of archives around the world, but with societies and with other uh, genealogical websites. We, we seek to work together to uh, share records, to make them available in many different forms on, on different websites with different search capabilities, different tree systems that they link into. I would also add that I'm delighted to see what's happening more and more with hinting. Uh, we just released a new set of hints online, another 230 million hints that we published. Let me tell you what that means. If you're browsing through your tree trying to maybe add another generation, you'll often see a little record hint showing up uh, in the tree suggesting that this birth record or this marriage record or this census entry pertains to the person you're now looking at in your tree. And you can examine it, see if it really is the same person, and, and grow your tree accordingly. This It's just continuing to build at such a rapid pace that we, we talk in hundreds of millions of records every year. I've never seen such growth before, and it's destined to grow at an even faster clip in, in the years to come. 
It's so exciting. This is really a fabulous time to be engaged in family history research. Well, thanks so much for your time, David. We wish you well on your adventures in curating records and bringing us more. We can't wait to see what's coming around the bend for Family Search. Thanks so much for being here on the Genealogy Gems podcast. Thanks for having me. MyHeritage.com is your home for global genealogy research. The site boasts the most geographically diverse membership in the world, with a strong presence in many European countries. Search for cousin connections worldwide among more than 86 million people on a site that operates in over 40 languages. Powerful proprietary search technologies at MyHeritage.com dig deeper and with greater accuracy into billions of historical records and online trees. This is the only major genealogy website that offers automated hinting on possible matches in digitized historical newspapers. And now MyHeritage offers autosomal DNA testing too. They're jumpstarting their DNA database by inviting members to upload their own and by sponsoring tests in certain parts of the world. I'm looking forward to the geographical diversity I anticipate from their DNA data. So head on over to MyHeritage.com and expand your global genealogy research. That's MyHeritage.com. Battalion, attention. Right, rest, front. Right shoulder, arms, forward, march. Hello, listeners. We have mustered in for another episode of Military Minutes with Michael Strauss. In our first meeting, we talked about the importance of draft registrations. If a clue found in those records listed military service, you will want next to search for his compiled military service record. Now, the records are abbreviated as CMSR and are located at the National Archives in Washington, D.C., for the Volunteer Army, and these cease at the turn of the 20th century. Now, these records don't cover regular Army enlistments. Genealogists owe a debt of gratitude to Colonel Fred C. Ainsworth. Now, he was a regular Army officer and a surgeon, and he helped to organize and index the original records that were then in the custody of the War Department. By 1894, his team of clerks had finished indexing the Mexican War, the Civil War, and the Indian Wars. Afterwards, they started to index the Revolutionary War, the War of 1812, and lastly, the Spanish-American War, followed by the Philippine Insurrection. The Revolutionary War required the use of other records from the Treasury, the Interior, and the State Department that were used to reconstruct information that was lost in a devastating fire in 1800 in Washington, D.C. Ainsworth didn't live long enough to see the National Archives, where the treasures that he helped to create are held. He died two weeks before the act to create the archives was passed by Congress in 1934. Now, these records list the name, the unit, and details of the veteran. Some records included physical descriptions. The records only represent the Army, except during the Revolutionary War and the War of 1812, where some naval records and prisoner of war records are also included. Enlistment records of the other military branches, the Navy, the Marines, and the Revenue Cutter Service, 
A forerunner of our current U.S. Coast Guard will be discussed in a future episode. Now, many of the compiled military service records are available on Ancestry, on Fold 3, and some are found on Family Search, and they cover the Revolutionary War to the Spanish-American War. Links will be provided in the show notes for you to access these collections. Now, your ancestor may have multiple entries in the compiled military service records. This could occur if the soldier served in more than one unit, or in the case of John LeMaster, who enlisted in two different armies. The Civil War divided our nation, and it tested the loyalties of all persons who lived during this time. LeMaster chose the Confederacy, at least initially, when in 1861 in Charlestown, Virginia, he enlisted with the 2nd Virginia Infantry, fighting alongside his brigade commander, a man named Thomas J. Jackson, who would simply later be known as Stonewall Jackson. After the Confederate loss at the Battle of Gettysburg, he deserted and lived in Martinsburg in what was now West Virginia, where on his draft registration he was listed as a deserter from the Rebel Army. In 1864, he enlisted in the United States Army with the 3rd West Virginia Cavalry, serving out the duration of the war until 1865. Interestingly, after the war, he was granted a federal pension with no mention of his former service in the Confederacy. Listeners, you're dismissed until next month when we will again muster in and talk about the 20th century equivalent record called the Official Military Personnel Files that are located in the National Personnel Records Center in St. Louis, Missouri. Until next time. If you get the Genealogy Gems newsletter, and I hope you do, you saw that I featured usnewsmap.com. It was just something that I hadn't seen before. I certainly am always out there looking for new cool tools. And I really love this one because it was data visualization, bringing data together with being able to visualize it and work with it. And in this case, it was with historic maps. So I did a quick tutorial video for you guys over on YouTube. And we'll have a link to that in the show notes. That's absolutely free to go over there and watch that. And I got a couple of email responses from you guys after we sent out the newsletter. Um, Let's see here. Well, and let me tell you up front, if you haven't looked at it yet, what this usnewsmap.com does is it gives you a map and it gives you a timeline across the top. And it's a lot like the Stanford data visualization that I talk about in a premium video. I know you premium members will recognize that. But it's even better in some ways because it has this timeline across the top and you can set a date you know, January 1st of 1860, and you can put in a search query, maybe your ancestor's name or a company or an activity or something that happened. And you press the play button, and it moves forward in time and starts to put dots on the map every time it passes through a year, and it finds historic newspaper records from that year. Isn't that really cool? 
So you can see why I was pretty excited about it. Well, Zoe wrote in and she says, I just wanted to email you and let you know I have been able to get that new find of yours working and I love it. There's so much I'm discovering about my relatives. I found in the San Francisco call my one grandfather's birth announcement. My grandfather was born in Moscow, Idaho in 1890. When the birth records were on their way to Spokane, Washington to be recorded, the horse slipped and all the records fell into the Snake River. Wow. I think she's got us beat on courthouse fires because that's the first I have heard of the horse slipping and the records ending up in the river. Oh my gosh. And I know that neck of the woods. I went to school out there, Spokane, Washington. So it says, with the birth announcement, it's another source that I can use for my grandfather. My great-grandfather, his father, along with several members of his family, I'm finding articles in all different newspapers. And thank you again for this great find. Keep those free findings coming. Absolutely. And I heard from Suzanne. She says, a friend just sent me this information. And of course, I had to start searching names right away. She says, did you realize that this site from the Georgia Tech Research Institute is actually a wonderful search engine for chronicling America? I've used the LOC, the Library of Congress, site often, but found it cumbersome sometimes. This is a real time saver. Well, Suzanne, yes, I did know that. That's why I shared it with all of you. The Library of Congress, the Chronicling America portion, that historic newspaper records archive is is vast, about the largest in the country. It's continually growing. And that is what this awesome tool helps you visualize. So you're absolutely right. And sometimes, you know, you go to the LOC and you try to work with Chronicling America and it's good, but there can be challenges. Using another method of accessing the same database can actually make things appear that just weren't coming up from the original source. So that's a really good reminder for any kind of searching you do. You know, uh, even though I use Google all the time, I may still run over and try a search real quickly on Bing just to kind of compare and see if it brings up something different from that vast data source of the web. Well, in this case, it's tapping into that Chronicling America site and doing it in an exceptionally fine way. Anyway, check it out. It's usnewsmap.com. That is a genealogy gem for this episode. And we will have a link so you can watch the video tutorial in the show notes. To find the show notes, go to genealogygems.com and click podcast. You're going to be looking for podcast episodes, the Genealogy Gems podcast, and it's navigate your way to episode 209. Okay, well, at the top of the show, I asked you a little quizzical question. And I want to know, did you figure out the name of that post-World War II housing development that I mentioned at the beginning of the episode? Well, here's more about it and the answer in Profile America. Profile America, Sunday, October 1st. The nature of American neighborhoods began to take on a new look on this date 70 years ago. That's when one of the first planned communities built by a real estate developer opened and began receiving its new residents, Levittown, in New York. Named for William and Alfred Levitt, the town ultimately contained more than 17,000 Cape Cod and ranch houses snapped up by servicemen returning from World War II and facing an acute housing shortage. 
1947, the houses in Levittown had 800 square feet of floor space and sold for under $8,000. Now, Levittown has a population of about 52,000 with a median home value of over $357,000. That's about twice the national median home value of $178,600. You can find more facts about America from the U.S. Census Bureau online at census.gov. The show notes have a link to a short YouTube video documentary on Levittown. It's a great example of the do-it-yourself video narratives that you can make to tell your own family's story. And we'll have a link to that in the show notes. I want to thank my Genealogy Gems podcast team. Sonny Morton is our contributing editor. And of course, we had a special contribution from Michael Strauss with Military Minutes today. Hannah Fullerton is your show's audio editor. And Lacey Cook runs everything here in the background. Quick reminder, please follow Genealogy Gems on Instagram if you haven't already. Now, if you haven't tried Instagram, why not? right? Instagram is an app that you can get on your phone, on your iPad, your tablet. Just go to the App Store, download Instagram, it's free. And um, you just sign up for a free account. And go to Genealogy Gems, just do a quick search on it. You can also search on my name, I should pop right up. Follow me on Instagram. I am sharing some really kind of fun ideas over there. Stuff that I love to do. A lot of it's behind the scenes. Some of it is just little creative ideas that I really don't share anywhere else. And it's also one of the first places that I go to post some of the new quick little preview videos that we have. So it's a lot of fun. And I gotta say, it's really my favorite app, even over Facebook. Really, I'm not as big of a fan of Facebook as I used to be, but I'm really enjoying Instagram and I enjoy Pinterest as well. So we have lots and lots of things going on at Pinterest and Instagram and of course at Facebook, facebook.com slash genealogy gems. So follow us there and be sure that when you go over to youtube.com slash genealogy gems, you click that red subscribe button. Make sure that you're on there because that's how we're going to alert you when our new videos and particularly some of those really full length videos like the recent Reveal Your Family Story webinar that we did, that's where that happens is over at YouTube. I love staying in touch with you. Thank you so much for taking some time out of your day and sharing it here with me. Thanks for listening, friend. I'll talk to you soon. 